So here's the question this weekend before Thanksgiving. Will there be Thanksgiving in paradise? You know, of course, I'm talking about that little California town perched along the foothills of the beautiful Sierra Nevada mountains, 26,000 small, paradise, California. And you and I and the nation have been riveted this week with the images streaming live out of the ashes of what used to be paradise, California. And what's so stunning, it it just takes your breath away, is the mind-numbing speed with which this wildfire they named Campfire, the mind-numbing speed with which it traveled. Do you read these numbers? At one point, observers reported the inferno was torching the equivalent of one football field of ground every second for 90 minutes. 90 minutes every second. 10,000 acres just gone. Everybody in it, gone. Unbelievable. And by the way, if if that fire were traveling in a straight line velocity, 300 feet a second, that's traveling at 204 miles an hour. You can't outrun a fire like that. And they didn't. It's no wonder the flames were almost unassailable. 5,400 plus personnel fighting that fire. 620 fire engines, 24 helicopters, giant water aircraft dumping their payload over the flames. And then they had to bring them in. 300 search and rescue personnel, 50 National Guard, sifting now through the ash, looking for any sign of former human life. As of today, 63 dead. And now the number's going up, 631 missing. 8,650 houses torched. You know what? I went online. I said, okay, how many houses are in Berrien Springs? All right, how many houses are in Orinoco Township? The Census Bureau is all X'd out for that number. They just didn't try to count it. They're at least four times the size of us. Go figure. The whole town, this valley, gone. You can't imagine it. But rather than put pictures up, I saw a fascinating graphic from Cal Fire Forestry. It's a map that represents the painstaking process by which rescue personnel went from house to house to house and indicated the quality of the house that's left, if there's anything there at all. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I want you to look at this. The red represents, if we could put that up right now, the red represents gone. Then you see, you, you'll see up there, maybe you'll see a little bit of uh, orange, and then you'll see some yellow and green. Black means escaped. You can understand that with the people not, unable to return back to paradise, this map is hugely either discouraging or comforting because they're going to find their address, and they will go to that spot. That's where our house is or was. Let's, let's zoom in on this so that you can see the differentiation. Look at all those houses. The red is gone. In fact, if you zoom out on this uh, Cal Fire map, it's just the, the city limits, just one giant red glob. That's the wildfire. Wow. But let's go ahead and do two. Come on. 
two actual photographs, a before and after. For those of us who are here in worship today, much closer to home, these, four, these photographs. Let's put the first photograph up, please. That's the Paradise Seventh-day Adventist Church, beautiful church, A-frame church. I pastored a church that looked just like that in Salem, Oregon. The pastor, Stephen Hamilton, his first Sabbath, listen to this, his first Sabbath, October 13, four weeks ago, just moved to town. And four weeks later, they're gone. Here's the after. Here's the after. Doesn't it break your heart? Because I'm thinking pioneer. I'm thinking what would happen here? God bless him. Steve Hamilton wrote a message to his scattered flock and ravaged congregation on their website. Beneath the new hashtag that's circulating through paradise, hashtag paradise strong. Put it on the screen. That's what everybody's rallying around. Now, beneath that, he wrote these words. The words are on the screen. All our staff members and the vast majority of our church family have lost their homes. They're gone. And then wanting to be gracious as a pastor, if you need to contact the church office, please understand that we may not be able to respond as quickly as we might like. There is no church office. The Chico Church, 17 miles away, by the way, has opened their doors and said, listen, you can set up mission headquarters right here, and you can worship here until we figure out, you figure out what's going to happen. Can you believe it? Oh, but he goes on like a pastor. He keeps writing, though the physical attributes of our earthly paradise are destroyed, the spirit of paradise is spread across the country and around the world as people are moved to volunteer resources to help. Despite the loss, we recognize that we are also blessed by the kindness and generosity of others. Has no home. But they write those words. Wow. Will there be, will there be Thanksgiving in paradise? I don't know. I really don't know. But I do know that you and I can respond out of the largesse of our own hearts. If you read my blog today, there'll be three, three ways that you can donate. I'll save you reading the blog. Let me put it on the screen for you right now. Three ways that you can donate to the tragedy in Paradise, California. Number one, you can donate online as I did last night. This is the church website, paradiseadventist.org. You go there and you click giving on the giving page and bingo, you're on Adventist giving online and you got it. Listen, I don't want to just talk about their calamity and not do anything about it. I'm no hero for making a donation, nor will you be. But why can't we help? We who are sitting in this comfort and we complain about our, our pews getting beat up and a roof that's leaking. At least we got a roof. Hmm. So you can, do, you can go straight to the North, uh, Northern California Conference, SDA, so that's nccsda.com. That's their website. You'll find uh, these methods of, of giving available there. And then you can do it right here, right now. Text NCCSDA. NCCSDA, you text that to 779-7777. You can give whatever you want to give, and it will go immediately to the recovery efforts of this burned out bombed out town. It's worse than World War II. Will there be Thanksgiving in paradise? In all candor, the new normal that we are experiencing in this nation now means that opportunities to express our compassion and care, guess what, are only going to go now in one direction. This is the new normal, folks. And you know what the direction is? It's up. It's called escalation. 
escalation, intensification, the twin realities of the new normal on this planet. And trust me, we'll have our turn someday. We'll have our turn. You can't, you can't have an intuitive, intuitive heart within you and read the apocalypse and not realize that, in fact, escalation and intensification are the twin realities of the end game that the apocalypse predicts and, pro- and prophesies. What's the big deal? You think God planned all this? Are you kidding? Don't put this on God. Let's give credit to where credit is due. We know the wannabe God who longs to control this nation, rule the world, and destroy every last one of us. The apocalypse, chapter 12, verse 12. Read it on your screen. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. There's only one way to go on this, and escalation and intensification. It's the name of the game, folks. Get used to it. We'll be calling on each other to give more and more. And maybe that's what God wants, to just break us loose of our own innate selfishness. Jesus is absolutely right. An enemy has done this. Hey, listen, I heard a firefighter, true, listening on the radio. I heard a firefighter being interviewed, and and he was describing the flames, and he said, you know what? I cannot understand this. It was like there was some sort of master intelligence behind the flames, the fury. Every move we made, the flames kept checking us. We couldn't put it out. Oh, there is a mastermind. An enemy has done this. Jesus was right. So let's get used to it. Compassion and care is the way forward. But by the way, compassion and care born out of crisis, that's a perfect description of the churches in Macedonia. Turn to our, our Thanksgiving homily passage, short little passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Open your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Pick it up in verse 1. I'll be in the New International Version. Oh, boy. And given their economic status... I'm not surprised they have hearts like this. Watch this. Verse 1, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Verse 2, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wow. You, You know what's going on, don't you? The church, the Jewish Christian church in Judea, in Jerusalem, they're in the grips of a debilitating famine. The Macedonians, who are brand new Gentile Christians, have heard about their brothers and sisters, and out of their extreme poverty, they're raising money to help the church in Jerusalem. I like the way Eugene Peterson, in his message, Uh, renders this line. Put it on the screen for you. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them, that's the Macedonian churches, to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. Apparently, you can be poor and still be happy. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. Wow. To the place... Them ministering out of their extreme poverty and generosity to the place Paul is bragging on the Macedonian Christians. He said, yo, you guys in Corinth, you need to be like the Macedonians. That's exactly what he's saying. Drop down to verse 7. He says, hey, Corinthians, verse 7, since you excel in everything, yep, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Come on, Andrews University, since you excel in everything, don't you? 
then why don't you also determine to excel in this grace of giving? Just like the church in Corinth, the appeal of Scripture to our hearts. Wow. Excel in the grace. See that you also excel, just like the Macedonians, in the grace of giving. Came across a blogger. His name is Benjamin P. Hardy. He wrote a piece titled, The Secret to Happiness is Ten Specific Behaviors. So you would enjoy reading this piece. Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, you'll find it through Google. The blog opens up with, a uni- with, with, with an interview with Conan O'Brien and Louis C.K., who, ta- who was talking to O'Brien about this flying on a plane with all this newfangled equipment. And of course, a few years ago, they came out with Wi-Fi on the plane. And so he said, man, this is really something. We're flying with all this technology. You can get Wi-Fi in the air. You can do all your surfing you want. So he's talking to his partner. Man, isn't this great? Halfway through the flight. You've seen it. I've seen it happen. Halfway through the flight, the Wi-Fi goes down. Nothing. And, and as immediately, the man sitting next door to Louis C.K. becomes extremely upset. He just mouthing off. And Louis C.K. commented, as if the world owes this man something he only knew existed 10 seconds ago. <laughs> Just like you and me. Focusing on the, on, the, on the negative. Complaining about life, how life is treating me. As Hardy writes, bad stuff happens to everyone. But life isn't about what happens to you. It's about how you proactively respond. Written like a psychologist. Hmm. So, Benjamin Hardy proceeds to lay out ten behaviors that are the secret, he says, to happiness. I'm only going to give you number four. Put it on the screen, please. Number four, be grateful for what you already have. (laughs) He opens up with a quotation from the well-known writer, Sarah Von Brannock. Her words on the screen now, and I love this. Both abundance and lack of abundance exist simultaneously in our lives as parallel realities. We all have abundance. We all have the lack. It is always our conscious choice which secret garden we will tend. We decide where to spend our time with which garden. Isn't that right? Yeah. When we choose not to focus on what is missing from our lives, but are grateful for the abundance that's present, what kind of abundance are you talking about? Here she goes. Love, health, family, friends, work, the joys of nature, and personal pursuits that bring us happiness. And now, oh, this is great. The wasteland of illusion falls away, and we experience heaven on earth. That's why Hardy's saying happiness is as simple as gratitude. Are you grateful? Are you a grateful person? Do your friends think of you as a grateful person? Apparently not. No, you do. I'm just talking to the choir behind me. (laughs) Somebody dropped something. You okay? You still with us, girl? I'm thankful you are. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Happiness is as simple as gratitude. You ever read those lists that describe the benefits, physical and psychological, of gratitude? Come on, they're all over the web. What are the physical benefits of gratitude? Let me run a few by you. Come on. Stronger immune system, less bothered by aches and pains, lower blood pressure. You exercise more and you take better care of your health. You sleep longer and feel more refreshed, more like walking and waking. Come on. It's called gratitude. Be happy. Be thankful. 
Oh, by the way, the psychological benefits, let me read this list. Higher levels of positive emotions, more alert and alive and awake, more joy and pleasure, more optimism and happiness, more helpful and generous and compassionate, more forgiving, more outgoing, feel less lonely and isolated. Man, I say let's celebrate gratitude. What do you say? Come on. Not just one day a year, the whole year. Gratitude. That's the way it was in the church of Macedonia. In fact, how'd that line go? Put them up, put them up on the screen again for us, please. I love this line. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. You can tell which secret garden they were tending, what they had, not what they didn't have. And put that other line that the NIV renders it. Their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. Ooh, I like that. You know what? It's like the silver circle of thanksgiving. Because the more grateful you are, the more you give. And the more you give, the more you're glad. And the more you're glad, the more grateful you are. And the more grateful you are, the more you give. It's a silver circle of thanksgiving. In fact, let's put it on the screen right now. This is how it works. Gratitude giving and gladness. And it's all the way down. You can't go beneath that screen, but it's going all, it's going all the way down because that's the cycle. It's the silver circle of thanksgiving. The more we give, the gladder we become. And the gladder we become, the more grateful we are. And the more grateful we are, the more we give. Isn't it Jesus? Isn't it just like Jesus? Jesus is the one, by the way, who speaks this line that appears nowhere in the Gospels. Can't find it in the Gospels, but it's tucked away in the New Testament. I'll put it on the screen for you. Let's say it out loud together. It is more blessed. Come on, help me out now. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the point. Because when you give, you're glad. And when you're glad, you're grateful. And when you're grateful, you give. And it just keeps going. Come to think of it, that's the way Jesus himself lived, isn't it? Wasn't he the biggest giver that ever lived? Put it on the screen. Our last text, it's verse 9. Just drop right down there. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake and my sake, he became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, might become what? We might become rich in what lasts forever and ever. The whole gaping universe is staring at that center cross as they watch the King of Kings, the darling of heaven, expire in agony. And they realize he is emptying himself to the last degree in order to save the likes of you and me, willing to die forever so that we might live forever. He became poor so that we might become rich. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. Desire of Ages. This is the very famous quotation, by the way, from Desire of Ages on the screen. You'll see it there. To the death of Christ, we owe even this earthly life. Everything I have, I owe to the death of Jesus. The bread we eat is the purchase of his broken body. The water we drink, you're going to have bread today and go drink something? You will. And the water we drink is bought by his spilled blood. Now, here it goes. Never one saint or sinner eats her daily food, but she is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. Now, the clincher, the cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. Calvary, stamped on everything we own. He bought it. 
for us. Go figure that price tag. Will there be Thanksgiving in paradise? Oh, I've got great news for you. Yes, there will be one day in the paradise above when you and I and the children of earth bow at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus and we pour out our hearts in thanksgiving, which will be a thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.